Hi, my name is Sarah McCaslin, and welcome to another Forgotten Sheep podcast. And in this podcast, we're continuing with Kate Booth. Now, it's been a while since my last podcast on Kate Booth, where we talked about how she had joined the Salvation Army, founded by her father, and she had done well. She had been successful. She had been so effective in the anointing and the gifts the Lord gave her, she ended up imprisoned while she was working in um, Switzerland. So, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, uh, the successful work in Switzerland, and she returns to France. So, after all that happened in in Switzerland, Kate returns back to France, where she felt uh, much more comfortable. And as she's walking one night uh, along the street with some of her, her co-workers, she stopped in front of a drinking establishment. She was there with two of her officers. Now, keep in mind that Salvation Army always wore uniforms uh, when they were working. Uh, these young ladies would have been dressed. They would have been immediately identified by anyone around as Salvation Army officers. And their purpose for being in that area at night would be known. It was uh, always for reasons of outreach. Well, Katie stood there in front of that uh, that bar, and she f- said she felt led of the Lord to go inside. Now, this wasn't something she normally did, but she felt like the Lord wanted her to go inside to sing a hymn and then invite those inside the bar to come to a service. But she was afraid. She doesn't specifically say in her writings in what I've read, she doesn't specifically say what she was afraid of, but she was afraid. And let's face it, for us to be afraid, we don't always have to know why we're afraid. We can just know that something is causing us to be afraid. So she turned to her two officers and she said, you are looking at a leader who is afraid. And they're like, oh no, you're so brave. You know, you, you went to jail in Switzerland for the sake of the gospel. You defended yourself defended yourself legally in their courts but Kate said no that 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 doesn't take away the fact that she's afraid and so Kate overcomes her fear and she goes in there and there's actually a painting that someone did to show what was going on she goes in there she asks the bartender if she can sing he allows her to sing a hymn and then she invites the men that are in there she invites him to one of the Salvation Army services and this became something more regular that she did. Okay. Well, as we're talking about Kate returning to France, we should also talk about a young officer named Arthur Cliburn. He was one of Kate's right-hand leaders, uh, both in France and in Switzerland. He was a huge uh, help to her in Switzerland, her co-worker. And he was an Irishman who had come to the Lord after being invited to a church service by a Quaker, and he had he'd gotten saved in that church service and was participating with the Quakers, and then he later found out about the Salvation Army, which would still have been in its relative infancy, probably still at that time called the, um, I believe it was the London Mission or the London Christian Mission, and he heard about them. He heard about their their passion for souls, wanting to see people saved, and see people helped, and how they combined reaching out to people to help them with their spiritual needs, 
but also also helping them with their physical needs. If they were hungry, they could get fed. If they were if they were cold, they could be clothed. If they had no home, they would help them find a home. Those types of things. And so he thought, these are my kind of people. And he joined up and became a very dedicated Christian and Salvation Army officer. Well, in the midst of her work here in France, Katie and Arthur become more and more attached to each other. And so they were married on February 18, 1887. Now, here's a neat thing, too. This is very interesting about, uh, I think, all of uh, William Booth's children who married. They took on hyphenated names. Uh, Arthur and Kate both took on a hyphenated last name, legally changing it by deed poll to Booth Clibber. So they were now Arthur and Kate Booth Clibber. And uh, Kate would end up having 10 children in just 14 years. That's a lot of kids, uh, especially from the viewpoint of our day and age. Ten kids in 14 years still in full-time ministry during that whole time. She was still preaching. She was still praying. She was singing, leading meetings. She was writing. She was serving in a leadership position. She was still head of the work there in France. And so she did all of that and was having kids and was extremely, extremely active. And... One of the things I think that we forget is ministers' kids, they pay a heavy price for what their parents do, whether their parents are missionaries or preachers or chaplains. They, they sacrifice access and uh, time with their parents so their parents can do the Lord's work. And Kate was very sensitive about this. And one of the hardest things she had to do was leave her kids in the care of another for an extended period of time when she would have to go to another city uh, to hold a series of revival meetings or uh, something like that. She hated that separation from them. And the kiddos, of course, would beg her to stay. And that had to be so hard to say, you know, I've got to go. And so one night, um, she she was going to leave at night, and she went in there to kiss the kids goodbye. They should have already been sound asleep. Her eldest, Evangeline, named after her sister, was not. She had purposely kept herself awake so she could see her mommy off. And so when Kate reached over to kiss her goodnight, uh, Evangeline threw her arms around her mother and begged her to stay. And, you know, Kate couldn't say, okay, I'll stay. She had to say no. But she wrapped up little Evangeline in a blanket and carried her downstairs so that she could see her mom off from the front door. And another time, a later time, another little one, one of Evangeline's little sisters, was distressed that mommy was leaving them behind and was going to be gone for a matter of weeks. She was so upset and she began to plead with Kate to stay. And the elder sister Evangeline walked over and grabbed hold of Kate's skirt, got her attention. And she said, Mommy, isn't it true that if you don't go, then there might be someone that doesn't get saved? Now, I want you to think about the words coming out of that child's mouth. If you don't go, then there might be someone that doesn't get saved. Well, that was true. And so... Kate said yes, 
That could very well be true. There could be someone that doesn't get saved if I don't go. And the younger daughter said, okay, mom, okay, mommy, then you do need to go. So I thought that was that little story of the home life of Kate. I thought that was sweet. I thought it was touching. And it's a reminder to us to remember the sacrifices that the children of our Christian leaders make. And, you know, I think all too many times, like the phrase preacher's kid is applied and it's not in a nice way. And, you know, I think we should remember to just acknowledge that and appreciate that. And don't pick at those poor kids. <laughs> you know, don't pick at those kids. I remember there was one uh, preacher's child. I don't remember for sure who it was, but she talked about how she had to give up her seat at the at the table. She had to give up her seat at the table so that the visiting evangelist could let his cat sit there and eat its dinner with him. Yeah, that's that's kind of hard. Give up your seat at the table for a cat. You know, as much as I love cats, you know, that's not right. So all those kinds of sacrifices and those things that they deal with should not be forgotten and shouldn't be treated lightly. Well, Katie received word that she was being sent to Holland. Um, officers, Salvation Army officers, from the very beginning, were only allowed to serve at a particular place for a limited amount of time. This had multiple reasons. It kept the people from becoming too attached to the leader. And yes, you can be too attached to a leader, and it is not good. And it also kept the leaders fresh. They were continuously facing new challenges, which threw them in uh, more of a continuous dependence on the Lord to strengthen them and guide them. They didn't get too comfortable in a place where they could go la grow lax in their, in their praying and seeking the Lord. So, to that end, even though Kate was William Booth's daughter, even though she was uh, very influential and gifted and anointed, she had to follow the rules. And the rules said that she was being sent to Holland. She did not speak Dutch. She spoke French. She spoke English. She spoke German. I know there were other languages that she spoke, but Dutch was not one of them. And uh, her friends in France, they were so upset about this. And they actually challenged Kate to disobey the order and stay in France. But she said when she had signed up as an officer under her father, even though it was her dad, when she signed up, she made a promise that she would follow the orders. And so that's what she was going to do. So Katie left for Holland with her kiddos and her husband and remained there for six years. And she never was able to learn their language. However, the spoken word is not the only way that we can communicate with each other. Especially as Christians, there's hymns and Christian songs. And so even though Katie never mastered the language, she did learn how to sing their hymns. And even though she preached with a translator, she would sing their hymns in their own language. And that had to, you know, I would think if I was listening to a for uh, a Christian leader from another country that couldn't speak my language but had bothered to learn my hymns, I would be truly impressed and I would give them a listen. So Katie works there in Holland. Every message she preached, much to her distress, had to be translated, but, and I think this is cool, those words that the Lord gave her did not lose their power through translation. 
Just because a translator has to be used does not mean that the anointing and the power of God is hindered in any way. So the Lord was able to move there in Holland, even as he had there in France. Of course, there were some hiccups. There were things that happened. That there were obstacles to overcome, resistance to overcome. But the Lord was continuing to move. Now, one night, as Kate was praying, the Lord made a very strange request of her. She was instructed by the Lord to rent one of the most fashionable meeting places in Belgium. And you could think, oh, cool. So she's going to hold this big meeting there in this fashionable meeting place. And they're going to have a Salvation Army meeting. Not exactly. Her instructions from the Lord were very clear. He told her, let everything in your person speak of sin and awaken conscience. Then proclaim the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he told her to wear sackcloth and ashes to lead the service. Now, this is 1880s Holland. This was a meeting being held in this fashionable part of town. And the Lord's telling Kate not to show up in her Salvation Army uniform, but to show up in a sackcloth dress with ashes on her. And not only that, she was supposed to preach very clearly about sin. This was not a... um. Not at a sermon of uh, encouragement in the usual sense we think of it. This was not a self-help sermon. This was not a jump up and down and shout hallelujah sermon. This was preaching against sin. The Lord said, let everything in your person speak of sin and awaken conscience. There would be no jokes during this message. There would be no levity during this message. Her entire demeanor was to be serious as she carried to the people the burden of this message the Lord had put on her heart. That message is, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But we don't realize that we need sin taken away until we truly get a glimpse of the sinfulness in our own hearts and lives. And the Lord was going to use her message as a part of the convicting process. You know, we can't convict other people of sin. We can stand out on the sidewalk all day and say, this is sin and this is sin. And if you do this, you're a sinner. That's not going to convict anybody. It takes the Holy Spirit to convict. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't also use messages about sin. So, also notice her message wasn't just to cause people to see that there was sin in their lives, to awaken the conscience of people. That could lead to condemnation. Condemnation is what the devil does. No, what the Lord does is say, listen, here is your problem. I can solve it for you. You need a savior. I am your salvation, is what the Lord was saying. You have sins, and I, the Lord Jesus Christ, can forgive them. You are in bondage to sin, and I, the Lord Jesus Christ, can set you free. So the message that was a com- that delicate combination of conviction and hope that only the Holy Spirit can bring. But first of all, Katie had to agree to dress in sackcloth and ashes. So she told her offices, officers that she wanted them to focus on the meetings. And she said, now listen, I have left home 
And in this particular area, she had left behind her little ones. And I'm going to exist for this town. She was explaining to them what she was going to do. If Christ laid down his life for us, we've got to lay our lives down for the salvation of the city of Brussels. And that was exactly what Kate did. She wore a simple sackcloth dress, a single seam down the side, and a belt made of hemp, and she placed ashes on her head. And as soon as the crowd caught sight of Katie, they began to ridicule. And all of a sudden, she was seized with what she described as a paralyzing fear, and she began to tremble. And she did what I think every single one of us would do. Have I made a mistake? Did I hear God correctly? Was this my own idea, and I thought it was the Lord telling me to do this? What are my motives for doing this? All of these things started running through her mind. The devil was trying to stop her from doing this. And one of her officers came to inform her that they were ready for her. And she said, I'm, I'm not ready to go out yet. She said, I need you to pray, and I need you to sing some hymns. And while her officers were out there praying and singing hymns, Katie collected herself and she looked to the Lord and he provided her with the strength and courage to face this audience. The devil brought fear. The devil brought doubt. The devil brought confusion. But when we turn our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ, that fear, that doubt, and that confusion is pushed out. And it is replaced with peace. And it is replaced with courage. And we've got to remember that when those things assail us, when those negative thoughts assail us, when those doubts assail us, we can't give in to them. We can't let them pull us down. We have got to look to Jesus, reach out to Jesus. Even if we're in a place where we can't pray out loud, turn our thoughts to Jesus and reach out to Jesus. And he will speak peace be still to that storm. He will give us peace. He is not the author of confusion. He is not the author of that kind of fear. He will give us strength and peace and confidence in place of fear and doubt and confusion. So that's what she did. She turned to Jesus. And she let his presence give her what she needed. And she stepped out on that platform to a crowd that had already begun to ridicule her. That was no doubt waiting to continue. And she explained to them why she was wearing the sackcloth and ashes. She said, I am mourning the sins of your country and your sins drunkenness, debauchery, she named it selfishness and rejection of Christ. That was her opening volley to this group of no doubt well-to-do Brussels elite that were meeting at this fashionable place out of curiosity, no doubt to mock and to ridicule many of them. But that was her opening volley. The sackcloth and ashes, it wasn't to get attention. It wasn't even for an illustrated sermon in that sense. It was a symbol 
of her grief and her mourning, when she truly saw through the Lord's eyes the sin and debauchery of that city, it grieved her. And she was mourning. And the Lord was able to take that sadness, that mourning, that burden that he had placed on her heart and use it to reach people there in Brussels. The campaign was successful. People were saved and people were born again. And I want to just talk for just a second here about burdens. What Katie saw, the sin and the sins of that city, of the country, of the people, what Katie saw, there may not have been any other people in in Belgium, in Holland, that saw what she saw. She may have been the only one to have seen it to that depth. And the Lord showed that to her for a purpose. Not so that she could call herself a prophet. Not so she could claim some special insight from God, but so she would take that burden on and mourn and weep for them and pray to the Lord that he would reveal himself in their midst, that he would open the people's eyes to see themselves as he saw them lost and in sin. But he is ever ready and willing to save. That is why the Lord showed that to her. That is one of the purposes of a burden. Many times in the Old Testament, the prophets talked about having a burden from the Lord, and it usually took the form of a message or a symbolic action like we see here. And its purpose was always to call people to the Lord, to bring people's attention to the fact that they needed to get right with God. And so we see Katie responding to that burden, responding in obedience to what the Lord told her to do and the Lord moving in the midst of that place. So, another interesting story that comes out of her work there in in Holland and Belgium (laughs) is one day uh, Kate receives an invitation to dine with a group of a dozen anarchists. And these guys, these anarchists, were a rough lot. They were involved in a lot of political intrigue. This group had been responsible for bombings and violence. And usually that's how they spread their message of dissatisfaction with their government was through violence. And yet, they asked to have lunch with Katie. So Katie met with them. And they said, are you going to talk to us about doctrines? And I love this. Katie said, no. I only care for realities. I don't deal in doctrines. And they like that. They really did. And so then, as a good soul winner will do, she struck out to find a common ground with them and said they should compare notes. And she said, so let's see. I've uh, suffered. I've been imprisoned. I've been exiled. And you know what? I bet we have wept over the very same issues of cruelty and injustice and they were really uh they were really impressed with this and during their conversation she presented to them Jesus and how he shed his own blood <clears throat> not the blood of others <laughs> she made that quite clear to them one of them said oh katie if you really want to make a mark in this town you should you know we can help you with a few bombs and that'll bring attention to your cause and she said sirs 
I cannot win converts whose heads had been blown off. <laughs> She's pretty plain with them. But um, she witnessed to them. And someone said, why, why, you know, uh, Commander Booth, why would you meet with someone like these anarchists that are violent and wanted criminals? And she said, extremes attract extremes. She was extreme in her commitment to God and extreme in her soul-winning methods. And to her, it made sense that other extremists would be interested and attracted. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, didn't turn down an opportunity to meet with someone just because they were wanted criminals and had committed act of violence and no doubt had blood on their hands. No doubt people had been killed. And yet she still was able to reach them and still managed to present to them the gospel message. And that leads us into some changes that began to come about. Um, things changed in the Salvation Army after Kate's mother, Catherine, passed away from breast cancer. Kate and Arthur had wanted to preach divine healing, pacifism, and the second coming of Christ. They were being, uh, they had come under the influence of some Pentecostal groups there in Europe. And General Booth refused to allow them to preach on these subjects while they were under the covering of the Salvation Army. However, Kate and Arthur both had received revelation in these areas, and they wanted to stay true to what the Lord had shown them. They wanted to stay true to the light they had received from the Lord. And the other aspect of changes in the Salvation Army that had distressed Katie was she was appalled at her father's approval of adding um, the following words to the officer's vows. To obey the general or any succeeding general and regulations now in force or hereafter to be enforced. She couldn't believe that her father, most likely under the influence of her brother Bramwell, his right hand, was wanting officers to make a vow of obedience to him. She knew something was, this was not right. Now, when General Booth again refused to let them preach according to their conscience, wanting to preach or include in their teachings divine healing, uh, pacifism, which means that they don't, uh, they don't fight in wars. They could serve in other supportive capacities like nurses and medics, but they wouldn't actually participate in uh, violent, the violent aspects of war. So Arthur decided that they should join another group. They left the Salvation, in 19, Salvation Army in 1902, and Arthur decided they should join another group. This was going to prove to be a devastating mistake. Arthur insisted the family join a group called the Christian Catholic Church, led by a man named John, Dr. John Alexander Dowie. Every spiritual instinct in Kate told her this man was not of God. No matter how good he sounded, no matter the apparent fruits of his ministry, no matter how many people followed him, Something in her said, this is not of God. But here she was, no longer under the covering of a, a ministry or a denomination, and she had ten kids to feed, a family to keep together. And at this time, she was expecting their tenth child, so at this time, she was pregnant with another child. 
so she went ahead with what her husband advised. Arthur took him to Dowie's community, Zion City, what we would probably now refer to as a commune, commune in the United States. And while they were there, Kate was constantly torn between what she knew was right and struggling to keep her family together. His teachings, even though her husband was okay with it, her heart told her these teachings were not of God. These teachings were error. And you know, guys, error is not always blatantly obvious. It just takes a little bit of error for us to get way off track. And so she's struggling, knowing this is wrong, but she can't see a way out. She's got kids. She's pregnant. Now she's here over in the United States. Her father's not on speaking terms with her. Pretty much none of her family is because she's left the Salvation Army. She is in a huge mess. Now, whether John Alexander Dowie was a con man, deceived, or perhaps mentally ill, only the Lord truly knows. There are many opinions. But only the Lord truly knows. He declared himself a high priest, contrary to scripture. Jesus is our only high priest. He stated that he was the prophet Elijah and made other heretical claims that were unbiblical and were wrong. But Arthur was a devout follower. He was so devoted to Dowie's teachings, he sought to be ordained. By Dowie. Put yourself in Kate's position. You know this man is way out there. He is so wrong. And your husband wants to be ordained by him. And so Dowie. He knew who Kate and Arthur were. He knew Kate was William Booth's daughter. And apparently he considered that to be quite a prize. If he could get her ordained too. So he said I will not ordain Arthur. Unless Kate submits too. And that's where Katie drew the line. Dowie told her that it was her responsibility as Arthur's wife to follow him even if he was in error. That is not biblical. He said if you follow your husband in error, the Lord will forgive the mistake. Where is that in the Bible? Katie knew this was wrong. And she says, no, I am not agreeing to it. And so she had to attend meetings with her husband who was still so disappointed he couldn't get ordained. And things reached a boiling point. Uh, I should say boiling point. And in Texas, we say boiling point. It reached a boiling point. <laughs> when Dowie began to attack General Booth's character during one of his meetings with Kate sitting there. Now, she had had differences of opinion with her father, specifically adding that vow of obedience and the officer's vows. But she knew that when it's all said and done, her father was a man of God. He made mistakes, yes. But he was a, a man of God. And Dowie is accusing her father of enriching himself off others. There is nothing that could be further from the truth. That was absolutely not true. And Katie, the Lord came mightily on Katie, and she stood up during that meeting. And she and she said, you take that back because you know that is a lie. And you was cowardly and cowardice attack my father in such a manner that you can't even hear to defend 
And so she accused him of cowardice and speaking the untruth. And guys, he backed down. They said you could see his face fall and you could see the conviction come over him. Well, still, Katie's husband is following Dowie and every day she's getting assault. She is getting bombarded with these false teachings, bombarded with this pressure to conform. And by this time, everybody knew that she and her husband were a part of Dowie's group. They were living in the commune at Zion City. And her reputation was being tarnished. It was being ruined. She had left Brussels, having fought successfully in the Lord against vice and sin. But now Katie found herself isolated from all of her former friends she had been known for courage, for wit, for being outspoken against evil. And to all appearances, after day after day after day of this, she was broken and silent. And there was even more trouble ahead. But let me tell you something. Katie seemed broken and she seemed silent and she seemed defeated. But she was going to rise again. The Lord was going to breathe new life into her and into her ministry. But like I said, things were bad. The family barely had enough to eat. And on top of this, Kate becomes sick, very sick. And in her weakened condition, she agreed to accept Dowie's teaching and join his Zion church. Now, you got to remember before we judge Katie, she was in a horrible depression. She was physically sick. She was being slandered by the press. And she was worried about the well-being of their children still at home. Did she make a bad decision in joining Zion Church? Yes. Did the Lord forsake her for making this bad decision? Did she forever ruin the call of God on her life? Did she forever lose the anointing of the Lord on her? Did Was she forever ruined? No, absolutely not. The Lord did not forsake her because of this bad decision. The Lord was about to throw open a door that would free them from Dowie's insidious influence forever. And it started with Arthur getting sick. He began to suffer some very serious health problems. And because he was a follower of Dowie, he refused any medical intervention at all. He refused all medication, all medical treatment, would not see a doctor. And his illness was growing worse and worse. And by this time, they were back in England. Uh, her husband, I think at this time, he was uh, would have been ordained, I believe, by Dowie. Um, she went along with that ordination and joining Dowie's Zion Church so that her husband could make an income to feed the family. So he grew sick. Arthur got sick, 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 sick. And he was at the brink of death. And Katie was not going to let that happen. She's like, uh-uh, you got me into this mess. You are not going to die on me. Okay, now that may not have been exactly what she said, but that's kind of the feeling I get. And she brought in a doctor. 
under the guise of a friend so Arthur would be cooperative. After the doctor checks, you know, talks with Arthur and finds out about what's going on, he says, Katie, his situation seems helpless, but I have some surgeon friends I can bring in. Well, by the time the surgeons got there, apparently Arthur was sick enough that he wasn't able to resist, and they performed four operations on Arthur. Now, he survived. He lived, but he was left a cripple. And so this sickness became a door of opportunity for their ties to forever be broken with the Zion, uh, that Zion uh, church, with Dowie. Two of Arthur's converts... And guys, these were his converts under the Salvation Army. Had become followers of Dowie. They invaded Arthur's sick room while he was recovering. And they informed him that he was forever dismissed from Dowie's church. And I can only imagine that just made Katie so extremely happy. The ties were broken. He was kicked out of the church. Of course, Katie was too, but she's fine with that. But Arthur was kicked out now. And once Arthur was out from under their influence, out of that community, he too started to come to his senses. And he, he made public declaration that he said, this was his, these are his words, Dowie was a good man at one time, but so was the devil. Dowie fell through the same sin of pride. And he explained to the public in interviews with newspapers that Katie would never have had anything to do with Dowie whatsoever had it not been for him. He was the one that pulled the family into that. He was the one that drug Katie into that. And he acknowledged that he had put Kate through a living hell with this. So now, Katie is free of the entanglement with this false teacher. And this is where the story gets really neat because the Lord is going to restore her ministry. He's going to restore her Christian influence. He's going to restore her leadership. He's going to restore everything that the devil had taken away from them. And Katie used this experience as an object lesson that we should always follow our God-given instinct. Not everybody that claims to have a message from God really has a message from God. Some of them are simply mistaken. Some of them may have evil behind it. Some of them may be doing it to gain notoriety or attention. And some are legitimately carrying a message from the Lord. But she said we should never let the light of God's Holy Spirit be darkened by man. If we know a teaching is wrong, if we know a person is teaching error, we shouldn't keep following them. We couldn't, shouldn't keep listening. We couldn't, we shouldn't keep subjecting ourselves to hearing it. The more we hear a lie, the more it'll begin to sound like the truth. And she also said, that it seemed as if the person that she used to be was dead. The preacher, the evangelist, the soul winner, the leader seemed to be dead. But Kate persevered. She was still broken, sick, and depressed after that ordeal. 
And it was going to take a while for Katie to recover physically and emotionally. And it was going to take time for her to recover from the spiritual damage she had done to herself by associating with false teaching, regardless of why she did it. There is damage done when we associate ourselves with false teachers, when we associate ourselves with teachings that are in error, that are not biblical or or go beyond the Bible. There are dangers to that, and it will have repercussions on us spiritually. But Katie recovered. She recovered, and it was in part because her oldest daughters, the teenage girls Victoria and Evangeline, Evangeline, the little one that explained that if mommy didn't leave town, then there might be someone that didn't get saved. Those They were with their mother. They stood by their mother, and they were determined to see their mother at work for the Lord again. And they held her up, and they pressed, and they pushed, and they influenced her. And then... Some of her mother's old friends came back to her that had been had stepped away from her because of her association with this false teacher. They came back and they too joined in with these girls in bringing her back to her original calling, soul winning, just because she had messed up, just because she had associated herself with a false teacher, just because these things had happened did not mean her calling had been annulled. It didn't mean her calling had been taken back by the Lord. She no longer wore the Salvation Army uniform, and she never would again, but she kept preaching, and soon people once again were sitting under the anointing preaching of Kate and were finding the Lord. Soon she was winning souls once again, and I want to point this out too. As I said, she would never wear the Salvation Army uniform again, however, It was not the Salvation Army that called Kate to preach. It was not her father that called her to preach. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus calls someone to a work, there is not a person in this world that can put a stop to it. There's not a person in this world that can take that calling away from us. If Jesus has anointed us, if Jesus has called us, if Jesus has given us a work to do, then Jesus will that it's done. I just love that. She's back. Katie's back. She messed up. She fell in with the wrong spiritual crowd. She got sick. She got depressed. Her heart was broken. And yet she is coming back. The Lord was healing her heart. The Lord was healing her body. The Lord was healing her emotions. And the Lord was healing her spirit. And she is coming back. And another neat thing that happened. Her son Theo. He went to train with her brother Ballington in the U.S. Ballington had also left the Salvation Army. And while he's, when he comes back... Theo comes back with organizational skills to help his mother effectively launch her evangelistic ministry. Her crowds, they started out small, but they soon reached their former size. Kate was able then to support the family through the offerings she was receiving as an evangelist. The Lord was able to still feed that family, provide for their needs. 
Now, her father passed away, and she was allowed in his sick room, but she could not reveal who she was because they were concerned it would cause him to die sooner, have a heart attack and die sooner. And then her son, Eric, died of dysentery after being on the mission field only a short time. But in spite of all this, Katie persevered, just like she hung on to the Lord through all of that chaos of her husband associating with Dowie's ministry. She hung on to the Lord when her husband got sick. She hung on to the Lord to see her ministry rebuilt. And even when these other heartaches come into her life, losing her own son, on the mission field of dysentery, even when those things came, she did what she always did. She hung on to the Lord. She persevered. And the Lord was far, far from being done with this woman that he had called and he had anointed. For the rest of her life, Katie kept preaching and kept reaching the lost. Arthur joined her and they traveled across the world carrying the gospel from place to place, from country to country, from nation to nation. People heard the gospel message from Kate and her husband Arthur, the couple that the Lord had restored. And when Katie was 90, her son Theo tried to broker a peace deal with the Salvation Army leadership. And he said, listen, my mother, she was an officer for so many years. She did so much good in the Salvation Army. Will you let her have a meeting with her old comrades? And the leadership said no. But, yeah, the leadership said no. Kate was heartbroken. But, yeah, the just because the leadership of a Christian organization takes a certain stand, doesn't mean that the whole organization agrees. At Katie's next meeting, the hall was packed full of her old Salvation Army comrades. Their, the Salvation Army might not officially agree to hold a meeting with Kate there, but her old officers, her old friends, they showed up, much to her delight. So Katie finally passed away. In 1995, at the age of 96, of double pneumonia. But she had no doubt fulfilled the calling that the Lord had put on her heart. She had survived through all kinds of obstacles. And she is an encouragement to us that no matter what we are facing, no matter what sins we have committed, no matter what mistakes we have made, the Lord can restore us. And not only that, the Lord wants to restore us. The Lord wants to bring us back. The Lord wants to pour out his anointing on us again. The Lord wants to forgive us. The Lord wants to straighten out the messes we've got into. The Lord is in the restoration business. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this missionary talk. I, I really enjoyed researching this. And I hope it's blessed you and I thank you. Bye.